We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theater throughout the world. And we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community. Welcome back to another episode of Be Our Guest here on Musical Theater Radio. I am your host, as always, Jean-Paul Yovanoff. Today, we are going back to school and talking to the founder of MTA, the Musical Theater Academy over in the UK. We're going to talk about the school, uh, the UK musical theater scene, and, and what is now the most popular song to sing in class, and to see if it was the same as when I was in class. And I'm going to have to give you a hint. It's not because I'm old. I hope it's not the same song. I'd like to welcome to the show, Anne-Marie Lewis-Thomas. Anne-Marie, welcome. Thank you very much indeed. I'm already thinking what is the most popular song in class. <laughs> That, that, that's already fooled me now. I'm, I'm already, uh, you're going to get no more sense out of me. I'll just be focused on that. Works for me, but we'll save it. We, we don't want, we, we can tease the the listeners, but give it to them a little bit later. Because if we give it to them now, yep. they're going to tune out and be gone. And, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So. I'm with you. Awesome. So I want to start off with uh, getting to know you. I want I want the Anne-Marie 30 second bio. Who is Anne-Marie in 30 seconds? Okay, so Anne-Marie is a working class Welsh girl. That's, the, that's who I am, who happens to be a musician. I think that completely sums me up. And then I grew up and became uh, a working musician, a composer, musical director, and then I stupidly opened drama college. That is kind of 30 seconds. Although I should throw in, just because they kill me, I am also a, a wife and a parent because otherwise that seems like I have not negated my children in one hour <laughs> three. So they are up there as very important. Gosh, if they're listening to that, my children will be like, oh, you didn't even mention us. Yeah, my kids are used to that. <laughs> talking, talking. But yeah, the, the Welsh part is very important, especially today. We're doing this on St. David's Day, um, which oh. is uh, the, the Patriots into Wales. Well, that was exactly what we planned, right? Yeah. Exactly. Thank you very much for bringing me on on St. David's Day. You're welcome. So I want to take it back for a minute before we get into all the other current stuff. Um, were you always in a musical theater? Was, it, was that something that you, you grew up with or did you discover it a little bit later in life? No, I was always into music. There was always music in my house. My dad had a piano uh, well, you know, and it, he, he was not great he's sort of a three chord trick man but um so the, the piano was there anyway and then I just always played it uh I didn't really like practicing but I really enjoyed playing which is probably why I ended up being an arranger actually when I sort of go back to make connections so no and I didn't know that you could make music a, a, as a career I uh, that was completely out of where I live and that, that doesn't happen in fact my my background isn't to go to college. You know, my brother and myself were the only people in our family to go to college. So all of that, I just thought I was having a lovely old time doing it. And then I don't know, when I was about 16, somebody mentioned that you could make a living out of music. And that was just like bonkers. So I did, I went to college, but I did perform in arts, not music, because I'm not, I'm not very good at all the academic stuff with the music. Um, I just, I'm <laughs> quite a simplistic soul. I just like hearing it, as opposed to, I'm not keen on analysing it or anything. Anyway, so I did a, a performing arts degree, at, as it was then, Middlesex Poly in London, which in those days was, was sort of quite an avant-garde place, where you just, there was no commercial theatre there. There was a lot of, I don't know, auto devised pieces it was really deep and meaningful stuff going on and I was kind of like a bit of an outsider in a place full of outsiders 
So I think all of us were there, we're quite a disparate group of, of all people that just enjoyed being creative, but didn't have anywhere to go with it. And the Middlesex Poly course was quite famous at the time for, for bringing those sorts of people together. Um, and it, you're quite radical back then if you're into a poly, not a uni. So that, you know, so I was really radical, not. But anyway, I went to the poly, but then I didn't even quite find my niche there because I just wanted to do a show team. So I already knew I liked those things but nobody else wanted to. They were all into uh, either jazz or really experimental music. So I was a little bit of an outsider there. So I slowly sort of eked it into my course as much as I could. And it was a, quite a nice course that you could eke things in. Um, and then sort of discovered this world of MD in, and I really liked that. And I spent a little while oscillating between, should I be a performer, should I be an MD? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a terrible performer for an MD because I'm always like, oh, we could do this. This is a good idea. Why don't we do that? So they had a really a sort of stern chat with me about you decide, you, you can't do both because you're either taking instructions or you're giving it. You, you can't be the person that thinks they can do both. Yeah. So then I kind of landed as an MD uh, and then, just sort of slowly found my way into musical theatre. And sort of then ironically, actually went back to Middlesex quite quickly to teach musical theatre there. I'd sort of in, so eked it in enough. They decided they could even teach it on the course from then on in. Um, so no, I didn't always want to. So I, I didn't know that you could do it. I just didn't know that you could be in theatre, actually. I, I, clearly people were, because I was going to watch them and I really yeah. enjoyed it. I didn't understand the steps and my course was rubbish because my course kind of they sat us down and you're not being trained to be teachers and you're not being trained to be performers and you're yeah. kind of left sat there at 18 going well I don't know what this is about then yeah. but it's a lovely SU bar so we'll have a nice couple of <laughs> nice yeah. few years yeah. but I'm not sure where I'm going so the course was deliberately obtuse I think in where it wanted us to go yeah. but with that it becomes a freedom doesn't it of doing whatever you want to do and finding your own path and and yeah. um, working out where in your where in the world you belong but you left the course with no contacts in the outside world at all really? just a group of people <laughs> yeah, like not one not one um but I, I don't know I just kind of found my found my niche and uh, enjoyed arranging so that back then it, it just been over in London it was just when they were starting to put really big shows in tiny spaces so when I started says Grandma Thomas here that there were, it was just the West End and Fringe that was it yeah. and then suddenly as I sort of left college this thing called Off West End started to slowly break through and I was just very lucky. I was an MD for a company called The Steam Industry, which was the first company to do all the big shows in tiny spaces and to kind of strip them right down uh, and spent a long time with them, just learning my craft and honing it and understanding it before then sort of going into a bit more mainstream theatre. What were some of the shows that they put on that, that helped um, shape you as an MD? Well, and, the, and as the first show I did for them was Sweet Charity. And I, uh, that was a takeover gig. I took over from somebody else. So that, that just kind of was definitely my stepping stone. But then from then on in, maybe some of your UK listeners will know of a place called Batty Art Centre, which back then used to do these huge Christmas spectacular musicals. Mm -hmm. um, which so lucky to do all of them. Um, and I don't know, we did The Sound of Music, uh, The King and I, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, which was just the most gorgeous show to do in, in that space. But just stripping everything right back, you know, just... Uh, I don't know, piano, bass and drums, that was it. But loads of vocal arrangements, which is what I particularly like doing. Um, 
and it, and so immersive because the because the casts were so big, the audiences were naturally so small because of the venue. Yeah. So yeah. it, it, I don't know. There was I, I used to love the Christmases down there. Financially, they were appalling, but in terms <laughs> of creative and in terms of what we managed to do, I think really proud of those shows and you know seeing how those ideas spread and and you know a lot of people and organisations started to do them and now it's. It, it's it's the norm that's where you can do shows so yeah it's an exciting time to be part of all of that i think and so you cut your chops there you you, you learned you, you grew as, a, as an md and, and, and as, as a person and doing all that stuff so uh, once you got you were finished with that how long were you with that company oh gosh i was with them for years okay about seven or eight years oh, like, wow. maybe a bit longer yeah because what happened is that the, those shows sort of we kind of did all, all these big revivals and then uh, Phil Wilmot who uh, was the, the guy that I was working with all the time uh, he then suggested that we write our own show so we kind of did that and they commissioned us to write a show hmm. uh, and at that time he was sort of doing sort of the melody line and I was just kind of filling in a bit um, and we did a show called Alcon Ebenezer which we really sort of quite enjoyed doing um, and then we thought, oh, we should we should make it a bigger show because so Uncle Ebenezer just had um, classical music in it, basically that we sort of pop popularized. Uh, and then we did a show called Around the World in Eighty Days, which we wanted to get published. It's now published by Concord, and that kind of really made me see that maybe I wasn't only arranging that I think I was kind of composing, yeah. and it gave me the confidence, I suppose, to start putting myself out there as a composer as well. Um, so I did we did quite a few of those things. Yeah before then kind of moving into the mainstream, I guess. Right. So, so once you, once you left the company, what, what did you go on to do after that? Now that you've discovered, you know, maybe I can write shows and, and I am more than just an MD. I can arrange and compose. So, yeah, well, I did, I used to write some shows for companies like the NYMT, the National Youth Music Theatre, which is now BYMT as well. There's a kind of offshoot company. So I spent a lot of time uh, doing shows and commissions for them. Um, I went off and just did some freelance stuff. I did, I guess one of my proudest things or one of my biggest shows would be, I did the first reimagined production of Rent outside of Broadway. Oh. So we did Rent in Dublin, um, which was the first time that people were allowed to change the, you know, to sort of play around with it. Cause you know, up until then everybody had to do the version of Rent. Yeah. So that was really nice. So I managed to kind of arrange on a much bigger scale and they got permission to do that. So that was quite exciting. But that also sort of taught me interestingly that I didn't like it. That the more commercial it got, the more restricted you are. Whereas if you're doing it on a shoestring, you've got so much more artistic freedom. And I suppose really legally you probably haven't, but it kind of felt like that, yes. to be fair. Yeah. Um, so, so that was really interesting because literally as soon as I arrived, for want of a, a cornier phrase, <laughs> I kind of realised I didn't like the destination. So <laughs> completely stepped back from that to, to then work on smaller shows that, that I could be creative with. And I did have that artistic freedom. And of course, as part of that, then it becomes more and more writing uh, and more and more people were, were asking me to write things. Great. And so how did you transition from MD to now composer to starting a theater school? Because that's got to be the natural progression, right? Yeah, no, I mean, everybody should do that. It's in the career guidebook, you know, it's exactly. like, 
that's what you do. You, you sort of tick <laughs> off things. Uh, do you know, it was just really daft. It's because, like everybody in, in theatre, you know, you, you have to have that, as they now call it, a hustle. You, you've got to have your sideline of, of what it is that you're doing. And I always taught, and I really enjoyed teaching. I taught a, a little college uh, in Hertfordshire, Oh, for about 19 years it was a nice place I could come and go you know when I, whenever I wasn't doing shows but I really enjoyed it um and I enjoyed I enjoyed seeing students grow I thought that was really exciting and also given what I just said about my own college life I liked being able to go no no this is how you get into the industry this is how you do it because I never had that when I was a, a student and then I don't know, a few things happened that I wasn't particularly happy with and I didn't like the way a couple of colleges that I was working at, I didn't like the way they were running. And I sort of became a bit grumpy about um, sort of colleges just as a whole. Yeah. Just like, I don't know, they, they seem to have lost their... When I started, I liked working in a place where the students were first and it wasn't about anything else other than what do the students need. Yeah. And that kind of changed a little bit. And then I went to work somewhere else and I thought that place was all about the students and it wasn't. So I hated that. So I, was, I became a bit miserable about colleges not being about students. Mm-hmm. You know, I, and I, I understand they're a business, but I, I don't believe you should be profiting off education. I've got a really big issue with it. So that for me is quite tricky. Yeah. And then in the industry, so I'm still working. And then in the industry, there was a percentage of graduates coming out that just didn't seem to understand where they were you know or what they were doing or their attitude and just what good company members and and I became that person sat in a dressing room and and the the two actresses will know who they are because they regularly admit that it's their fault that I opened a drama college but and I sat in a dressing room on a show with these two actresses all of us about the same age just kind of moaning I was moaning about the colleges I taught at I was moaning about the graduates and we all sort of recognised that we had become those people we didn't want to be. And they said to me, well, if, if you, you know, if you feel like that, you should just open your own place. Because that would kind of sort it, because then we wouldn't be moaning about the graduates because you'd be putting out graduates that we'd want to work with. Yeah. Uh, and you wouldn't be moaning about your teaching because, well, you, you'd be teaching them what you thought was right. So that had sort of planted the idea. And then I sort of went uh, for a walk with, with my wife uh, and, and I was kind of still moaning. Seemingly <laughs> that's all I did. Twelve years. Ago, I was just moaning, uh, and and I foolishly said, "Oh well, what I'm going to do? I'm going to write a Christmas number one, and with the profits, I'm going to open a drama college, because you know life is that straightforward." And, and Wait, is wife, this a 1940s uh, musical movie? Let's write a song. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, because it's that easy, isn't it, to write a hit song? It's going to be like, which is what my wife said. That was her response. To it. She went, you know, you've literally never written anything that that's pop- that is that popular to create that sort of revenue, and you're you have no foot in sort of the pop world, so that's just yeah. not going to happen. Um, but if you want to open a college, let's kind of remortgage and let's do it. Let's just let's just go for it. Yeah. Which to this day I hold a grudge against her for saying that because that's exactly what we did. Uh, we remortgaged and and the kind of college came together really quickly because I'd already been around sort of drama college world for I don't know 10, 20 years. And I already knew how I'd already sort of formed a couple of courses and I'd written a couple of courses. So I knew everything I needed to do. Um, so that bit came sort of quite easy and I knew who I wanted to work with. Um, and then I was just very lucky. I sort of found the venue relatively quickly. Um, and then, I don't know, I think I was just done because I just kind of went, okay, well, I'll do it then. 
Yeah. And, and, it, and it was as simple as that. And everything, you know, the MTA has become something very different to the norm. Um, but it was all done by accident. I, I didn't set out to, to create this college that um, was going to change stuff. You know, I just wanted to do a college that I thought would work. Um, but even like dumb things, uh, for example, so we'd re remortgage to get some money together to pay for rent on on, on the, you know on our rooms to to, to run the college, um, and I resented the fact that I would still have to pay rent during the summer when there's a big break, and I, I couldn't kind of work out in my very simplistic music brain how what what was the point of that? Why do you pay dead money? Yep. I know that certainly over here, everybody goes well, run another course in the summer. So why would I want to do that? Like that. I'm already running one. Why, why would I want to run another one? And that seems like, no, I don't want to do that. So I just thought, well, we, we should just run it through the summer because that that makes sense to me. I'm paying for a space. Yeah. So, and then it's like, oh, well, if we're doing that much work, we don't need to run for three years. That actually, if we look at what we normally do in a three-year cycle, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you go back after a big break, you spend the first few weeks just catching up on stamina and where you were at. So if we don't have any big breaks, we, you know, we're not catching up. We can just keep plowing through. So hence the reason that we sort of came up with the UK's first two year uh, musical theatre course, literally because I didn't want to pay rent on a dead space. <laughs> as inventive <laughs> as that. How about that? Hey, you know what? That's not a bad idea, right? It's 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 it necessity is the mother of invention, right? You, I don't want to pay for this. It's not being used. You know, and then you snowballed that. Yeah. Yeah, no, completely. And then just like everything to me that seemed like common sense. Like what one of the things that used to frustrate me at some of the other places I worked at was you'd say something that you know was true in the industry today. Yeah. And then somebody who had not stepped foot in the industry for the last 20 years would go, no. And it's like, well, actually, if we're all in the industry today then we're all kind of singing from the same hymn sheet you know i don't i don't believe in there should be a party whip that everybody's told this is what you say at college that everybody should have freedom of choice bizarrely but but surely if we're all in it then we're all saying the, th the same thing by definition you know this is how the industry works today so things like that so having um a, a faculty that were entirely freelance working professionals and it, like i did again i didn't realize that had never really been done before there's certainly lots of freelancers going around and working in lots of colleges but this was going to be a college completely staffed with freelancers who could just come and go could work that you have to be working in the industry to work at the college so we have to therefore give you the freedom because again that was the thing that used to annoy me at the other colleges they used to say to me yeah yeah you can come and work here because we you know we like your experience and then as soon as you said you have some time off because you've got a show that oh well no it's very tricky yeah that's the thing that makes it work isn't it so so I kind of wanted to be the antithesis of that and to have a staff group that could just come and go because I figured there was enough people around. We're like 10 minutes from the West End. I am not going to be short of staff if I've got a good core faculty. Um, and it, so for sure, we have to look a little bit harder to find the people that are both brilliant performers so that they're at the top of their profession and are also really good teachers. But then we've, we've ended up with the most amazing faculty that I'm in daily awe of, but don't tell them. <laughs> well, it'll go to well, their heads. Well, unfortunately, if they're listening, they now know. And you're going to have so many problems the next day after this airs with just egos. 
they won't listen. They'll see that my name's on it. And go, we hear her all the time. <laughs> We're not going to hear her. This is not going to be a hobby for us now as well. Well, as a guy putting on a podcast, that's awful to hear, but uh, okay. <laughs> I'll force them to do it. I'll force them to do it. I'll say it's part of their contract. It'll be fine. So what year was this that you that you started the, the, the school? So we had our first intake in 2009. Okay. Uh, and we had 13 started with us. Who, they used to call themselves the lucky 13. Uh, but, um, and then one left after the first year, went back, they were from Switzerland, they went back to Switzerland. And we had 12 that graduated in 2011 and they were our first lot. Wow, and how was that for you? Do you know, that experience of that first day in, in class, having those 13 in front of you, you've got the faculty, it, it, it must've been, overwhelming and exciting and every emotion under the sun and so how did that first year go for you okay so i, I didn't have any of those emotions i just had scared that's all i had i was just scared um and that they'll tell you you know that if, if they were here they would tell you like the, the pressure on all of us was because you kind of have to be good you know that first year you have to be good and we've always been so lucky well lucky and we choose very carefully that all of our students are of a standard so I think um, even from our first year, they were so good or, you know, so trainable. There's always clearly work to be done and they wouldn't be with us. But um, we kind of went through it together, my, myself and, and the originals. And, and I was very honest about what I didn't know. And, you know, honest about we knew it would be OK in terms of where we were getting to. But we were going to have some little sort of pitfalls along the way and we would find them out together. So, so the first year was was I think a little bit more children in terms of well we'll we'll just find out as we go along kind of we had the plan in place the plan was very very clear and in fact the plan hasn't changed at all since when we started other than a few tweaks here and there um, but things things are sort of a, that I hadn't clocked and I do understand how ridiculous this sounds it's things like part of the MTA's sort of uniqueness is that we're the only college that does a public performance every term. And I didn't realize, so I wrote that, I wrote the course, that was part of my, you know, grand plan. I sort of forgot that I'd never actually put on a show. I've never, I had never produced a show in my life. I was an MD, I'd been very lucky to have worked for years, yeah. but I'd never produced a show, I'd never hired stage management, I'd always said hello to stage management on the first day of rehearsals. So those were the things that sort of, that, I mean, it was just learning curve after learning curve for that entire year and so many things we got wrong so, I mean, so many things we got right as well but those first few shows <laughs> i think the students would agree we, it was a little bit hairy to, to just we didn't have the right personnel always and you know just trying to find our way through it um and then when the second year start started so finally you know we had the college a two-year program had two years oh then it's like starting again because you have to kind of it, it's a whole new dynamic we wanted the, our first year group to still feel safe. We wanted the new group to know it was okay. And I, to be honest with you, I'm just in awe of the students that, that came to us for those first few years, because we, we had nothing, we had no reputation. They knew that they would be our reputation. And I think that that is a really brave mark of those people that opted to come to us. And I'm hugely indebted to them for, for taking a punt on what was just like a bit of an idea really um 
but it but you know it, it worked out okay and they all went on once the first our first graduate group all secured agents yeah. there was a big sigh of relief it was like okay that that's okay all right this is good and they're okay it's just but, but then, that first one, right? That's, yeah, completely. But but then, you know, it's interesting, isn't it? Because once the first lot have got it, I, I kind of think, then you get worried about the second lot. Like, what if they don't, what if they're not right? And then the third lot are coming. So I, I've learned this, is this constant ball of stress of, oh my God, I'm responsible for them now. Oh no. Uh, I'm just trying to make sure that everybody's okay on the yeah. course. And for sure, you know, you, you definitely get that wrong a lot. Uh, and you just try to keep getting it better every step of the way. Um, but we, I think we're very lucky. We do a college for life, which I believe is the only place uh, over here that does it. So I'm still in touch with all of those people and they're still part of the college. Yeah. So it, it just, like that first year group we've just been speaking about, uh, two of them, no, three of them are literally having children this, this year. And it, and you know the fact that they private message me to let me know that that this thing, these things are arriving for them before it's pub is publicly announced. I'm I'm just so flattered that they still want to keep us involved in their lives. Yeah, well, I, I went to theater college for the same thing here in in Toronto at Sheridan College, and yeah, it you grow a you grow a relationship with some of the the teachers or professors or whatever you want to call them, and and you know, you become that tight knit um, group that it is a family, right? It, it is it's just not by blood and you, you know, you don't ever lose touch with them. It's interesting, isn't it? The, the students laugh at me because I always resent that term family because it, I, I've, I've sort of settled for dysfunctional family because I feel that you know, that sort of probably sums us up better. But, but it is true. And I think if the course is doing its job, you'll end up with a really tight year group or hopefully a lot of really good friends and I think actually in the last year with the pandemic we've seen that because they've all been meeting up they've all been meeting up you know on on zoom and stuff and uh, certainly during the first lockdown we, we have an annual uh, little weekly quiz as part of the MTA course like you do and of course everybody has now cottoned on to that during the pandemic but it was so lovely seeing my year groups all on zoom together doing their quizzes and it's like oh okay there, there's something that, that's unifying about that and it's anchoring them and that's really good and they're, they're weathering that storm together and they're there for each other and I, I, I again I think that's really humbling to see that they've managed to do that. So you've been in business for 11 years right 2009 you said so 11 years of, of MTA now the reason I, I'm we're talking is because I was on Twitter and, and I saw uh, you that the school posted an ad about um Canada and the UK and a bunch of other countries to get in and get their their applications and things like that. So let let's let's move to that. Tell us a little bit about MTA, what it offers, and and kind of what you'll experience if if you do go there. Okay, so yes, so this came about because of uh, the great thing that is Brexit in this country, and I mean that obviously without meaning it at all. Uh, we've always, always since we opened, had a lot of European students. And I love that. I love the diversity of people from overseas coming to the UK. We've never, ever charged an overseas student any more than we charge UK students. I don't buy into that. I think, I don't understand why they think it costs you more. They're blatantly just, I don't know. I can't say it, can I? But I don't understand it. So I've always promised that I would, everybody would have the same fee. Mm -hmm. 
So obviously that makes us quite attractive to, to the European community. And it's been great. And Brexit stops that for us because we're not a degree course, we're a private college doing purely vocational training. Uh, it means that we will not be now authorised to uh, sponsor a student visa, um, which frustrates me beyond words. Because uh, anyway, that's uh, far beyond for me to get political. Just follow my Twitter, and that will that will take you there on its own. On its own. But um, so, and I just felt really sad that we would potentially just have UK students there because I think we're the lesser foot for that. Mm-hmm. So I was looking around and speaking to some colleagues. And they were saying, no, there is a visa that you can have that means you can come and study in the UK and be here for five years. And because I, our course is just two years, I thought, oh gosh, that's really interesting. So a, a colleague was telling me that if you're from New Zealand or Canada or Australia or Hong Kong, uh, you can come and study at the MTA hmm. under this visa. And it's like, oh my God, so that could be great because we would love to have overseas students. Again, I can't stress this enough because I know what, what other people do, not because we want extra money, but be, we really like the new cultures coming into the college. Yeah. Um, so if, if you come to us, what you would get, you would get a completely unique program. You would get a two-year program, not a three-year program. Uh, you get eight 10-week terms. So it's always a 10-week term, uh, three weeks off, 10 weeks, three weeks off. Uh, you get public performances at the end of uh, every term, be that on stage or on screen, because we're also the only MT course to do a 50-50 stage screen split. Wow. So you're as likely to see our students working in, in screen on, on uh, telly and film as you are on stage. And, that, and that's been an interesting journey as well for us. But anyway, uh, so we are triple threat, although I don't particularly like that word. Uh, words, it's, you know, we, I'd like to think of us more as multidisciplinary. So it, it's an even split between dance, acting and singing. Uh, so three, three and a half hours of dance every morning. And in the afternoon, two, two hour sessions of wh- whether it's singing or acting or voice. Um, sort of quite a big tradition of choral singing at the college, sort of good rep stuff, you know, sort of get, getting your teeth into the different genres within musical theatre. Uh, specialist studies, so we don't, we, my big thing is if you're paying to study, you should be teach, teacher-led. So every, every moment you're with us is contact time. So it's like 40 contact hours a week. Um, and, and for me, that's really important because you shouldn't be paying to be on your own in a room with other students. I, I, I don't see the benefit of that. Yeah. So. Similarly, I don't believe in half term. Like, why do you have a half term or, you know, a reading week? Like, read in your own time. Let's just get on and study. So, but I do think that you need a break from sort of technical studies because it's so hard to get all the technique. So we have a specialist week in each term, whether that be, I don't know, like puppetry with um, our, our two main puppeteer teachers, uh, Mervyn Miller, who's the Mr. Warhorse himself, mm-hmm. uh, or... Jimmy Grimes from Brunskill and Grimes uh, works for us as well. Uh, Stage Combat, led by the amazing Haruka Karuda. Um, Cabaret by Paul L. Martin. So learning it as an art form, as opposed to just, you know, shove your portfolio on the stand and sing your songs. Uh, Developing new musicals, because we have a policy to support new musicals. So we work with Perfect Pitch over here to to help develop and workshop new musicals. Um, We shoot a short film because we're stage and screen. So, so you kind of have a break from, you know, this is a plie, this is your pirouette, this is your top C, but, but you're also learning other skills that are really important. Um, so, 
So you do that, then at the end of every term, the last four weeks of every term, everything stops and we just do a production. And the productions are, you do a play in your first term, you do a review in your second term, which is where we're at the moment, but in your first year, you're kind of, you're just on for a couple of numbers, but you're, you're in it. And then usually when it's not a pandemic, there's a musical in June. And that's really to help the people that haven't been signed at this point. Then, it, then it's all about you if you're a first year. Then we write a show for you. We commission a show for you. Up until this year, it had been in for theatre. But as of this year, we're doing it as a film musical because we did that last year and we, we really enjoyed what freedom that brought us. Yeah. So we're going to carry on with that and it fits in with our brief a little bit better. Then you do a panto. Uh, you know, the UK, that great art form. Such a skill set to, to learn. So you do a panto, then it's back to the review time, but this time it's all about you because you're a second year and it's all about the graduating year. Then you do agent one to one meetings. So the agents come in and literally meet you one to one on this big panel thing because there's only the maximum we could have is 22 in a year. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that it's individual studying as opposed to we're getting a year group through. Then it's the musical, and if you haven't been signed by that point, it's a chance for you to really step up and take the lead. And then it's a showcase, which as of last year, and we're going to keep this, it will be a stream showcase for casting directors and stuff. So that that's kind of everything that you're getting. Nice. Nice. I really like the specialty week. Like when 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 I was in school, we didn't we didn't get that. And and how many of my my colleagues from going to school, I know. I never, I didn't stay in performing, you know, I went off and I, I went to school and I, I ran a mascot company. So I was performing, but not, I was DJing. I, I did all this other stuff. Now I'm a radio host. It's great to get, you know, those other skills that you might not think about, but then realize, oh, I do have this skill and I can incorporate it into my X, Y, Z of my artistry. So that's a brilliant idea. Uh, completely. Well, that, that comes from my training, I've got to say, back in, in my Middlesex days, because that was so eclectic of everything you learned. Mm -hmm. And speaking of somebody that really loved commercial theatre, but wasn't getting it there, at the time, I thought a lot of the stuff I was doing was a bit silly, or <laughs> I couldn't see the point of it. So, you know, I did Commedia dell'arte there with um, Clowner with John Wright, and, and I kind of didn't quite see the point of it until years later. It's like, oh my God, yeah, that really has fed into this. That is so important. So... It's like, of course, I'm going to put Commedia on my course because in the second year you do Panto, Commedia and Panto. There is such a direct link. And in fact, just learning about stillness on stage, just just being able to lose yourself in, in a moment in a character. Why would we not do that? Similarly, you know, puppetry, what a great skill. And we were doing that before puppetry became a thing that everybody was doing anyway. Um, but I just think it's really nice to have all those different strings to your bow to just you never know do you you, you might yeah. suddenly find out puppetry is your thing or stage combat is your thing or i know we've got quite a few of the students that because they write their own short film then they they've gone on to be writers we've we've got somebody that's a, a, you know an award nominated uh, writer that did the course because they wrote when they were on the course and realized that was something that they were really interested in so i i think all the more experience we give people, the better it is, I believe. For sure. The more, the more, um, you know, colors to paint with, the better you're oh, going to be. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, it makes you more respectful. I think it makes you more respectful of everybody's craft. Yes. Because yeah. you, you can, I, I suppose that comes back to why I sort of started with college, doesn't it? Like, I think sometimes actors think it's just about them. Not all <laughs> actors 
some actors and they sort of forget they forget it's a team they forget about everybody's skill set so the more we can open people's eyes to that I, I think the better company member they're going to be nice so over the 11 years um who are some of the alumni that come out of the program that uh you know some of our uk listeners might might recognize well do you know i always sort of deliberately dodge this question but i always say why i dodge it it's because if if i say oh whoever um that makes it sound like you're only successful if you have done xyz jobs and, and I've got a real difficulty with that because it's where are we where are we placing success? So I think our industry is incredibly difficult. If you're managing to sustain a career within the industry, then I think you're being really successful. And whether you're working in a holiday camp, whether you're on one of the major cruise liners, whether you're in the West End, whether you're in a major film, you are all being successful. And and I and I, I you know once I understand the question. What we have is we have on our website, there's a page called the ambassador page and every single year group are on that page. They've all got their own page and people can just go and click and see what they're all doing. Um, because I think it's really important. I, it's a bit like there was a thing on Twitter the other day about uh, colleges that are only promoting the students that have done big jobs. And it's like, what? and I, I think it's true. It's a perception of success, whereas Actually, what I consider to be successful is, so we've had our 10th graduating year went out last year and pre-pandemic, we haven't sort of done our survey uh, yet for a while for obvious reasons, but pre-pandemic, 78% of my students were still in the industry. So that's after 10 years. Now, I think that is hugely successful and so proud of them for sustaining those careers. Um, and, and, and again, it, it doesn't matter what they've gone on to do, yeah. they are managed to, managed to earn a living and they are successful in their own, in their own life. And yeah. that's really important. Well, the, the nice thing is when you say the, the career, again, it's not just that triple threat, right? It's now you've got the comedian, you've got the puppetry, you've got the, the writing, right? So you've, you've created a big network of, of artists with so many skills and, and yeah. Oh. Completely. And I think it's certainly over here in the UK, it does tend to be about, are you in the West End? Mm -hmm. What I've seen, are you in the West End? And absolutely, we have got alumni that have been, I always call it, we don't call them alumni, we call them ambassadors, because I think it's about going out there and representing us and representing what, what we are. So, um, and we have absolutely got ambassadors. In fact, of the 78% that are in the industry or pre-pandemic, 22% of them have gone on to secure roles in the West End or major number one tours. So actually our stats are very, very good. But also there are some that never wanted to do those sorts of jobs. There yeah. are some that have had hugely successful careers on cruise ships, you know, working their way through, you know, the lower end of, of that sort of industry, right through to now they're over in Florida rehearsing their shows on the, on the big production numbers hugely successful people and yet the perception should be oh well i'm lucky they've only done this it's like no no they have solidly worked for nine years yeah. they've earned enough money to buy themselves houses in the uk like i'm thinking they are very successful performers sure. and again the perception is ah, oh, but they're not in the west end well no because they're seeing a damn sight more of the world and i'm a little bit jealous of their uh, facebook to be fair so it it 
I, I don't want to, we, we don't sort of buy into that myth as, as a college. We're, we're always just about, there's a five-year plan. And if you want to end up in the West End, if that is your dream, then that's great. But it's it's the, the stepping stones you get to, to get there, or you know, you take to get there, are, are so important as well. And you might find out a bit like myself, when you get there, it's not what you want. Yeah, for sure. I know, yeah, and that's, our industry is so, had such a narrow view of what success is. Right. It is. If you haven't won an Olivier, if you won a Tony, if you haven't been in the West End, you haven't been on Broadway, and pretty much that, if you haven't done that, well, sorry, you're not a success. I'm sorry. You've only, you know, been in 40, you know, community or in smaller or cruise ships or whatever. You don't consider that a success? If you're still getting paid and working, <laughs> to me? I, I completely agree. I, I've always said to the students, well, my idea of success is have they managed to earn their fees back? doing what we trained them to do and a huge percentage of them have now that i think is success are they happy as human beings doing whatever they're doing i think predominantly they are that is success it shouldn't success should not be weighted on oh well you know have you got a profile do people know who you are who cares what people think Are, are you happy in your career path then you are a success and we are proud that we trained you and also, have you decided that this isn't for you? You know, we've got a lot of people that have changed careers. Um, I'll say a lot, whatever the 100 takeaway 78% is. Yeah. But, people <laughs> cha- but people that have changed careers, the majority of those have changed careers whilst being very successful working in theatre and film, it has to be said. Mm-hmm. But that's also a success that you've tried it. You've lived your best life. You've done it. <clears> you've realised it's not for you. You wanted to, to do a different path. That's great. You know, we've got ambassadors that we've got a midwife paramedics that my favorite as he knows is the person that works for apple because now we all get discounts and like everything you are a success if you're making your way through the world you are a success for sure, for sure. and the skill sets they learned in at the school whether they're in the the, the arts or not is so applicable i know i've used so many of the skills i've learned in theater when I wasn't doing theater stuff and, and it makes such a difference. Uh, completely. If I was talking to um, our paramedic <laughs> ambassador the other day about this and it was just saying, you know, has your training counted at all in all of this? And, and they were saying this, that actually they're training just on people skills and reading people and understanding people. And, you know, you, I was gonna say you can't buy that because you can because you train, but it, it's, um, it, it's, yeah, really good transferable skills. So how, how is, you know, we all know the pandemic happened. And so how, how did you uh, change up things um, for yourselves? And, and what did you do to um, keep the school going, considering everything that's going on? Well, we went straight online. We, we were very lucky. It was this time last year, wasn't it? So we had our big review. The, the review, Something Else, Something New, is kind of our, our flagship show. Um, and we closed that on the, on the Saturday. And I think myself and the students could all see the world was closing in on us very quickly because by the Monday, all the theatres went dark and two weeks later, the world was in lockdown. So we were kind of really lucky that we were performing literally right up to theatres going dark. There was a rumour that maybe we even closed the theatres because it was us, but I'm not going to go there. I I believe it was a bigger thing than just our review was storming it. But um, so... 
literally the week after we'd finished the show, we had auditions. So we went online. I'd happened to do, I'd, I'd done a course a little while ago on Zoom. So I knew of this thing, which of course is bizarre because now we all know what Zoom is. It, you yeah. know, Zoom is the place to be. But I felt like I was really like edgy because I already knew about it. Didn't really sort of get it, but I, I, yeah. I got my, all my students together to go, look, we're going to be fine. We're going to do this thing. We're going to go online and we're going to go into this thing called Zoom. Just, just go with me. I don't know how to yeah. use it yet. But we'll all be there. So um, we did our first online auditions within uh, four days of theatres closing. And it kind of quickly realized that actually Zoom was going to be okay. We could make this work. My staff had a crash course, you know, through trial and error <clears throat> of what could we do online? What couldn't we do online? And then the challenge for us was to take out all the parts of the course that were impossible online and replace them with something equally as good, but different. So for example, you know, as we all know, you can't do group singing online. And I've already said like call singing, that kind of harmony singing is such a, a, a key anchor point for all of us at the college. So to take that out was, was massive, but of course latency is not our friend. But so I needed to find something musical that would still spark and, and also being mindful that the world was now scary and that I was still responsible for, you know, 30 odd uh, young people. So I wanted to make it okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we took out choral singing because that was going to be pointless. I didn't want them all singing to their screen on mute. I saw no merit in that at all. Um, but so I did a quick sort of checkup to find out who had, who had a guitar, who had a piano, who had access to all these things. And then for two terms, I think it was, we gave them a keyboard and guitar lessons because like, you can learn that really well on Zoom. Um, I, we increased their one-to-one -one singing lessons because you can do that really well on Zoom. We found out bizarrely that actually space aside, because space is a massive issue clearly, but actually there's loads to be gained from dancing on Zoom. We thought dancing was gonna be the big issue, but actually our students made huge progress dancing on Zoom. Hmm. Um, so we just completely changed the course. And then I wanted to, what I also quickly realized was that the world became much smaller thanks to the internet. Um, and we were all stuck indoors. And I, I have um, my lovely friend, uh, Claiborne Elder, uh, Mr. Broadway. Uh, I contacted him to say, look, I, I think my student's gonna be really upset. It'd be really nice if we could have a couple of guests from Broadway. Would you, would you come on and just kind of join us for a Q and A? Have you got any mates? Have you got any mates that could, would come on? I don't know, you know, just Q and A. And, and then we ended up with this most phenomenal term. I, I think, you know, looking back, I might have gone a bit OTT with, with Q&As, but the students were there with, you know, with, with Clay came on to do the most lovely and uplifting um, Q&A. We had Julia Murney, we had Laura Osnes, we had Jeremy Jordan. Uh, we, oh, I can't think of everybody else. Well, anyway, it's all like loads of people and loads of UK people, uh, film directors that normally we couldn't get hold of. They all came in. All the casting directors were free and really up for it. And, yeah. um, you know, they even, they were having one-to-one -one casting meetings with the, the head of BBC. So it, it was like, it, it offered us a lot more opportunities and it was very much about seeing what we could, we could do and what, as opposed to what we couldn't do, if that makes sense. We knew that we'd have to, we had to take a production out, you know, there's no way we could get a production ready for June. So we did, we did that, but instead we, we, got our second year as a graduate in year to do three music videos so that there, there was still something that we were giving them and we were offering them up. 
uh, and that our, our then first years had more technical studies than they normally have. Um, then we managed to do blended learning because we're stage and screen, so we could get, get out, we could do um, lots of filming on locations. So they managed to film their short film, do their show reels. Meanwhile, by this point, I knew that we had to do a production and we were supposed to be going into production with a brand new musical called The Time Machine, which we hadn't sort of finished writing, which was useful because we didn't do it. Um, but I contacted my collaborator, Nick Simpson, to ask him in May, uh, could we write a show could we write a show to be done online with all the students filming it in isolation on their phones? Could we just do that? Yeah. So um, he he he's a bit stupid like me. I went, yeah, yeah, we'll do that then. We'll we'll do that. And then I contacted Adam Lenson, who is a genius of all things digital theatre, to say, look, I think we're going to do a show with the students. We haven't written it yet, so I don't know what it's about. I know that they can just film it on their smartphones, and I don't know anything else. Would you like to do it? And, and Adam was just great. He was like, yeah, yeah, well, that sounds great. Let's do that. So we did, we commissioned a show and got it up. It's still actually on our YouTube um, called Coming Home, which is literally the, the students all stuck in their various locations around the world, filming their little bits yeah. on, on their phones. But it's, it's, you know, there's an overarching story. So, so we kept really busy. Then we were back in the studio. We managed to do a whole term in the studio. Uh, did two stream performances. We did uh, a, a play in the studios and we did a panto online, which is amazing, sort of streaming that out to schools. Normally, you know, we do, um, I don't know, we've got schools audiences in the area of North London where, where we are, but suddenly we could offer it all over the UK. Yeah. 27,000 children saw the, saw the panto, which is just yeah, a joy, isn't it? And now we're, we're kind of getting ready to go back into the theatre in, in a in a nice circularity, doing the review show. Um, yeah, which I, it, it feels really emotional, actually, just to be going back there. Well, congratulations on, on not only starting it, but keeping it going uh, over the years and, and, and working your magic through, you know, this crazy pandemic. So congratulations on, on everything that you've done. Oh, well, thank you. I think I have an amazing faculty who are so up for anything and so creative. And also the students. I think, you know, a small college means that we can just keep talking yeah. and, and we can kind of get through it all together. And because we do so much work, uh, like our pastoral care, which won us an award um, for because we do a lot around mental health and a, a lot about mental health initiatives. So that has sort of come into its own this year, for sure. Well, I, again, I, I want to thank you. Um, before we go, I always ask three questions of my guests. All right. Okay. There's no right or wrong answers, but uh, we're going to learn a little bit about you. Okay. Okay. So don't be scared. So. Okay. I am a bit scared, but go. Okay. <laughs> Everything in life. You got to be a little bit scared and that's okay. Yeah, it's all right. That's okay. All right. So question number one, what creator or team within musical theater has had a great influence on you could be a composer a lyricist a director producer actor stage manager even could be famous non-famous like a teacher is, is there somebody in the industry who's who's had a good influence on you oh i i would say as a composer uh, i like uh our what flaherty and aaron's are are, are my they are kind of my go-to team. I just think they create such amazing soundscapes of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so if I could do that in any show, that, that I would be in all of them. And 
my my hero has has always been Diane Langton, who's a um, an actress over here. Just because there's always that one show, isn't it, that you go to see, and that it was that one performer, and it was Diane Langton in Windy City, uh, um, the Palace, the Victoria Palace Theatre. So, and who actually, in a nice circularity, Diane has gone on to become a mate of mine, and is one of the patrons of the college. So I quite like that as a kind of circularity. Those are correct answers. Thank it, you very much. Thank you. Those wrong. So. <laughs> Yes. Question number two, and what people have been waiting for from the very beginning of the podcast, most popular song that people just keep singing. Okay, well, they don't. How about that for a controversial answer? They don't, because all of the students are so individual, we yeah. never get a song that everybody sings. Is there a show? No, they, we go through little phases. Like the, A lot of the girls go for Waitress at the moment, I think. You know, they all sort of quite like that. But no, there's not a particular show, actually. They, it, it slightly swings around by us with stuff because you kind of see it come back and forth, you know, like Mac and Mabel always crops up. But um, no, they, they they do tend to, I mean, maybe because of the way the course is structured as well, they tend to keep looking for things. And then they bring us really interesting stuff, actually, mm -hmm. that make us, like the review, they bring their own materials. So, um so there isn't one. Okay. Not a, a genuine answer. All right. As a side to note to, to question this, if you were auditioning, what would you sing right now? What would be oh, your go-to audition song? Well, if I had, if I had a really good belt voice, I'd love to do something like, uh, and if I was a completely different performer and it was a different world and a parallel universe, <laughs> I... In, so my fantasy world, I would be doing, you know, banging out the belting stuff like Rain on My Parade. That's what I'd be doing. And unfortunately, I don't have that voice. I'm a real kind of warbler. So I have to sing the stuff that I find a bit dull, to be fair. But um, I, certainly my fantasy is is banging out those big belting songs. The big Broadway belters, any of them. Nice. I just think they're so electric, aren't they? Yes, oh, for sure. Just, just hearing them, you can just sit there and, and you can feel the waves of the sound, you know, coming off oh, it, it just reverberates through your very being and it, it they sort of sum up musical theater for me or you know that or you know the, the jerry herman too you know when it, it when it when that beat is going on yeah. oh i'm i just smile as soon as i hear it, <laughs> love it. Just love another it. correct answer love thank it. you very much i'm doing very well at these <clears throat> and final question might be the most revealing about who you are food in the theater or cell phones in the theater which are worse? Oh, I'm a bit torn on this, you know. Uh, th a food I hate. I hate food in the theatre. Mm -hmm. I, I, I really hate it. Cell phones, I, I have a, a love-hate relationship with them. I think po possibly if theatres to move on, I think people have to make peace with that. But food, especially smelly food and oh, loud food, no, no. So I'd say, let, let, bring on the cell phones. Let's all make peace with it. Let's all learn a, bit, a better etiquette with it. But keep your food outside. Yeah. I would have also accepted neither. Or we could have just say, you know, the pandemic, the one good thing is we don't have to worry about either of those when we're watching shows <laughs> online. I, I do think we're going to, Six have done it really well over here, haven't they? That they now, as part of their marketing, mm -hmm. they allowed it, everybody to record that final bit of the show. And that's really helped them sort of get their 
you know, that and being a brilliant show, but that cult status. So I suspect we're, I, I think we're going to end up at a time when people are going to want those things happening. Yeah. Good enough answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're welcome. So three for three. Perfect. Um, and thank Henry, you. thank you again so much for, for coming on and, and, you know, introducing to myself and a lot of people, uh, the Musical Theatre Academy and, and uh, break a leg with everything you do with it in the future. Uh, well, thank you very much. And for people that want to find out more, we're at www.themta.co.uk or we're on all social media as at the MTA online. Wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me on. We were just speaking with Anne-Marie Lewis-Thomas, uh, the founder of the Musical Theatre Academy here on Be Our Guest. Tune in next week when we'll speak with a new guest or guests about their love, life, and passion that is musical theatre. I am your host as always, Jean-Paul Jovanoff, and until next time, I'll see you when I see you. We love supporting and promoting the creators of musical theatre throughout the world, and we would love to have your support as well. Go to musicaltheaterradio.com and click on the Become a Patron button because a supportive community is a strong community.